Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, a discussion with comedian actor Bill Bellamy. Bellamy's been a comedic favorite since the 1980s. He rode the 90s wave of popularity for many black comedians that took him from the stand-up stage to movies and television. He was a staple on MTV, found himself in movies including Love Jones and Any Given Sunday, and starred in the Nickelodeon show Cousin Skeeter, just to name a few. Bill and I have known each other since those early days, and I started by asking about longevity. Or simply put, getting old. And I mean, be honest with you, man, it's it's a lot of moments like that I have had like that because the time goes by so fast. And when we move in and work and we don't realize that you know, we've been on the planet for a minute, right? <laughs> so one of my big moments was dropping my daughter off to college. And that was just like the, oh my God, I'm really a grown ass man, right? Like, I'm like, this is grown man stuff. Making that payment for college, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, back in the day, I'm at the MTV beach house. I'm partying. I don't have no kids. I don't have no worries. I'm just making money for me. And then I'm dropping off that big check for college. I say, you know what? I'm actually grown and I'm happy about it because, you know, 
there's a lot of experiences that I've had, um, you know, that are invaluable. Just having the opportunity to live life, you know, you get a lot of gems, you make friendships. Like I've been knowing you now over 20 years, you know, and it's like it's when we get together, like when I saw you, it, it's just a camaraderie. Yeah. Of, of, it's a feeling of. Of like we vets, you know, and we we made it, and we still here, you know. It's it's a it's value. Yeah, and I hate to tell you, it's been over thirty. Oh, years. my bad. <laughs> okay, see, that's how t- hey, hey, that's how fast time flies. It is true, though, man. Let me let me ask you. You know, you talk about uh, dropping your daughter off. What's it like for you? Because our lives, you and I, our lives have been documented in a different way. So they do and can look you up when you are on MTV you know, yes. and in your 20s. And what's that like for your kids? And when, you know, you sometimes have to go, yeah, I know that was daddy back then. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes, you know, I'd be, I'd be trying to explain to my kids that your daddy fly, like your daddy fly. you like, you got to fly daddy. There ain't a lot of fly daddies. I want to be like in the top five of fly daddies. <laughs> that's cool. That's relate to you guys and, and still give you a little bit of room to do your thing. But at the same time, they like, Daddy, you old school. You <laughs> so I had to tell my son, I said, man, you might want to Google me, Playboy. You understand? Mm-hmm. Go, go look, go look me up what I was doing when you was when I wasn't thinking about you. Yeah. Right. Taking right. you to games. Like I'm basically Uber now for him. Now, you and Shaq, it said often that you all are cousins. Now, y'all blood cousins, you play cousins. Yeah, what is that? Yes. No, it's real. It's real. It's real. It's it's <laughs> I, 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 once you become famous, you, somebody will tie it somehow. <laughs> so, um, Shaq and I are second cousins on my mom's side. We realized that part of the game. And then I found out from my dad that I'm, I'm related to Roy Jones Jr. Oh, wow. Do you know what's cool about your family, particularly your yeah. kids? They don't care. Not I can't that. tell you how many times people have come up to my daughter and said, oh, my God, do you know who your dad is and what he's done for our community? And she's like, yeah, yeah, you know, like, whatever. He's just my dad. Right. <laughs> hey, I'm going to give you your flowers. I'm going to give you your flowers, right? One of your interviews that I thought was, it has to be in the Smithsonian as far as cultural impact, the timeliness of this interview and the questions you asked at that time. It was your Tupac interview. You know what's funny, and- man? I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but pick up when I'm through. But you know what's funny? Of all the interviews I've ever done, I'm talking about OJ and I mean, you know, the presidents and whole. The one interview I'm asked most about to this day, to this day, has to be is Tupac. It's it, it it was crazy because you and I uh, are one of very few black people that he chose to have them interview him right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um my my interview was more him coming out of jail releasing our eyes on me where he was mentally what he was preparing to do your interview was in the thick of it when it was going down and you was right on top of it and and you know the arrest and this that and the other so your interview had more like more um it was it was it had more gravitas to it. Like it was because it was so poignant at that moment that you were actually talking to him and you was and you 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 asked him the real ones. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't it wasn't no cupcake interview. So I always wanted to tell you that that was that was one of my favorite. I know you interviewed everybody, but that was just one of my favorite because it was I witnessed I was friends with him and I witnessed you like lock in. 
So, yeah, you know, <laughs> we use the word genius too much, right? We give that tag to everybody nowadays, but but he was special. And, and after that, he would call me periodically. He asked for my number and call me periodically. He was a special dude, man. He really yeah. was. He was a special Absolutely, dude. Absolutely, man. And you, you, um, you know, you're one of those guys that, you know, in my in my career that I've always admired how you always represent us in a way that is black excellence as, as you know, a strong black male uh, in the game. You never compromise who you are. And, it, you know, you always gave me that kind of like, like, I'm like that. All right. If you and Denzel. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's 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 tall cotton, as they used to say. I appreciate it. You know, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate like, you know, it. Ed ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. <laughs> 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 I, I won't. I, I I won't even say a word other than thank you, brother. I I, I will. But let, let me ask you about you now. Here's what's interesting about you, Bill. You know, you, you meet some cats, man, and you know where they're from, right? Right. There's something about you that has an everyman quality. Like I could okay. put you in where you're from, New Jersey. You know, yes. New York, New Jersey. I could put you in Detroit with me in the Midwest. I could put you out west, yes. and you blend and fit in with everybody. What do you do? do you see that, and what is it about you that allows that? I think I think it's just my personality. You know what I'm saying? I, I the the way people treat me is if I'm their favorite cousin. Um, you know, you remind me of Ricky. You remind me of my little cousin Tony, right? So I have such a uh, a, a a strong personality and I try to bring happiness to people and laughter. And that was my gift that I, I stumbled on early in my career. I was like, yo, I just like making people laugh. Right. I didn't know how strong of a quality that is and how people really want to have a good time and people really want to like laugh a little bit. So when I locked into my gift, everything happened and, you know, and then my fan base grew and people just start getting wind of me and saying, oh, yo, that's Bill Bellamy, man. That's my dude, Bill Bellamy. And that's how they've been treating me my whole my whole career. Were you always funny? I think so, but I wouldn't get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> I did a, a, Ed, I did a lot of free shows at the cookouts, at the fashion shows, at the little, uh, you know, the, the Greek shows at my school at Rutgers. You know, I was always trying to, I was like, do y'all need a host? I mean, y'all need a host, man. I, I know the school. I know all the frats. I know all the sororities. I used to do my homework so I could have a joke about each frat, each, you know, whatever, so I could have something funny to say, you know. And uh, each each time I would get a little a little chip here, I get another chip there, get a little chip there. And I wasn't even in the comedy clubs. I was just doing shows at, at colleges and stuff like that. And I remember um um getting my first big step show. I don't know if people, when they watch this, you know, if you know about how big step shows are in college, like that's like the Super Bowl of mm -hmm, stepping. Mm -hmm. And so I end up getting a chance to do like 10 minutes. And that was a big deal. And I never forget that feeling of that 10 minutes was so explosive and um, people responded in such a good way that I was like, yo, I think I'm gonna be a comedian. I was like, yo, I should just be a comic, man. And I knew my mama wasn't going to let me uh, uh, not finish college without, you know, get my paperwork. So I said, when I finish college, I think I'm going to try to be a comedian, you know. Here's what I always got from you. Even, you know, through, whether it be your stand up, not the characters you play, but, you know, how you <laughs> presented comedy and the like. And as I did the research for you, 
uh, on you for this. Uh, I didn't know you you went to Seton Hall Prep, yeah. uh, you, you know, which was a direct feed. It used to be on Seton Hall's campus and then they moved it yeah. later on. Uh, and then you mm-hmm. went to Rutgers. So obviously um, education was always important to you and the family. Did that come from, you know, home? Was that something that was just yeah. important to you? Where where that come from? Well, it was it was important to my mom and my dad. You know, um, my mom, you know, and dad were, you know, first generation out the South, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like literally 17, 19 years old, moving up North from the South. They were all part of that migration North to get better jobs and stuff like that. And so my mom never finished high school. My dad did. Um, and they were like, yo, education is the way to win in this country. You know, if you guys want to be anything, you got to educate yourself. So every nickel and dime that they could scrape, you know, they dedicated that to education for me and my sister and my brother. So I went to public school initially. We were in a bad neighborhood that wasn't working out. So then my mom was like, well, we're going to put you at this private school. This this is a better school, an opportunity to really learn and not be in a part of that system growing up in Newark. And, you know, and so that education thing kind of like segue through my whole life because through education, I was able to have verbiage. Through education, I was getting experiences with different nationalities. Through education, I was learning different subjects and learning how to use the information to benefit my career, you know? So I was um, a major um, in economics. Education is the glue, you know what I mean? For everybody out here that's trying to grind, I think education is just it's just such an asset to you. You know what I mean? You never know when it's when it's going to really benefit you, but it always reveals itself. Do people always expect you to be funny? Here's the funny thing for me. Everybody believes me to be very serious, you know, yeah. very. And I was two votes away from class clown in high school. I am not this. this I cannot cat. believe that. I am not this cat I play on TV at all. <laughs> at all. So here's my question. For someone who is funny for a living, yes. do people always expect you to be funny? Yeah, they do. They expect you to be in a good mood um, because I present so much of, of my life to them in a fun way. You know, I make fun of myself. I make fun of things that's happening, you know, things like that. Um, but when I'm serious, I'm serious. Like, you know, and that's the thing I think my wife and my kids see that side of me more than anybody else because there's certain things that I'm just not having it, you know what I'm saying? And I'll just be like, no, we're not doing that. You know, we're going to do it like this or we're going to work harder on this, right? So that that Newark, I call it that Newark, that Brick City come out and that and people be like, oh, man, <laughs> who is that dude, right? They don't know that side because I, I make a choice to be, I make a choice to be the 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 life of, of mm-hmm. the party. I make a choice to bring love and energy, right? But sometimes you got to be gangster and it has to come out. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. If you want to talk about it, fine. But I want to talk about it in a broader sense. And that is the, the Will Smith, Chris Rock, Oscar slap thing. Yes. But for me, it's less about that than a number of questions, including this one. We had Earthquake on not long ago, and I asked him the same question I'm about to ask you. And it's grown even larger with what we saw with 
Will and Chris, and what we saw just the other day with T.I. in a club in Atlanta when he went off. I heard about it. I, I saw that. I was hoping nothing happened because I was like, that's, that's a disaster. Yeah, who, who said something about the allegations against him, and then, you know, he had something back to say. Let me ask you the question I've asked many comedians over the years. Is there anything that you find off limits? When we get back, Bill answers that question. He also talks about the golden era of black comedy and about his new book, new podcast, and new movie. After the Academy Awards controversy and the discussion surrounding comedians telling jokes that might be seen as insulting or demeaning by some, I asked Bill if he thought there are lines that shouldn't be crossed. Yeah, I I, I just, for my style of comedy, I try to stay away from religion. I stay away from politics because those those kind of subjects always split the room and it's split it hard and it just takes people out. Because they're so passionate about this or passionate about that. Like for me, those type of things I kind of steer away from. And left, less is a quick jab and I'm out. Pop, pop. You know what I mean? I'm not a political comic. I, I mean, my commentary is topical. It's family. It's relationships. It's technology. Because sometimes I'll just, I'm such a geek. I read stuff. I'll be like, oh, I got to drop this on them. Because there's something people ain't really talking about, right? But there are things that I think are off limits, you know, um, and, and sometimes you have to know the difference. Like you got to know time and place. Right. That's a key thing. Timing is everything in stand up timing, your timing. When you do it, when you say it in the moment, bam, you get the good explosion. But then at the same time, you can say something in the moment that's a little too um let's just say for lack of a word, it's tasteless or, or it just doesn't hit right. You're going to feel it, right? And as a comic, we have to know the difference. And that's 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 where we play the lines because you've got to play the lines to be a really top five comic, but then you got to know the line when it's to go, all right, you know what? I'm going to ease up off that. That ain't the one, right? Not today. They ain't ready for that. And but trust me, we all think it. Yeah, there are some, though, that that don't necessarily believe that I, one, one person that I know for sure was the late, great Paul Mooney. You know, Paul didn't give a you know what, because right. I had him Paul, on the show after 9-11. Right. I had him on the show after 9-11. And he said, some stuff. And, and frankly, frankly, it was funny. But, but, I, but I thought to myself, rough. it's rough. Like, I would say that, like, I don't have the style of comedy that I can be as abrasive as Paul Mooney is. You know, Paul Mooney was able to do that and make it a brand. That was his style. We came to see him. We knew that's what it was. Right. Mm -hmm. But he couldn't be at the White House Mm -hmm. doing those jokes. He couldn't do those jokes at a... um, at a, a, a golf function with all these business guys, they're not going to laugh at that. It's going to be too racially inclined, right? But for Black folks that just want to have somebody tell the truth for once, we can laugh, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. You know, but sometimes, you know, white white people will feel like, oh my God, he's just picking on us. Oh my God, you know what I mean? <laughs> but well, I, I'm dying. 
I still quote, I still quote some of Paul Mooney's jokes because they just hilarious to me. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a fine line. I think sometimes for me personally, there is a line for anybody, Paul or anybody. Um, right. But, you know, that is that is a personal prerogative that the comedian takes. And the closer you get to that line, the edgier, you know, I mean, I think, you know, a, a, about prior in his day, he was very, very the edgy, same thing. You know, but the greater um, the risk, the greater yeah, the reward yeah. sometimes. Chappelle, you know, you Chappelle does that line. the same thing. You know, those guys that take a take a chance on it, you know, for the for the humor you know, oftentimes you win, but then sometimes, you know, people go, you know, and especially because the culture now has done got so sensitive. We come out, we almost kind of went backwards where, you know, we're so political. Everyone's trying to be so politically correct on paper. Now, if you say anything a little edgy, they're like, oh my God, they got the coalition against you. Mm -hmm. They're trying to cancel you. It's all, it's all, you know, it's all a wave. It'll go, it'll come back. It, it happened before, you know, it goes in cycles of, you know, how sensitive we're going to be this, this year to like, I'm going to say whatever I want. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think a lot of that stuff is backlash from, you know, and it's just my opinion from Trump because Trump was just so abrasive and just punching everybody in the face that people kind of got, you know, I want to say in their feelings, you know, and now everything, if you say something crazy, people are like, no, 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 you can't say that. You can't. Everything is you can't say that. <laughs> Let me ask you about you talk about timing. Um, you came along a great time for black comedians in the sense of that wave of the, the late 80s, early 90s that mm -hmm. really kind of introduced us to the stars that would soon become, you know, stars and in some cases, superstars. Give me a sense of, of what that time was. You know, a lot of people have seen the, the documentary Fat Tuesdays um, and the comics of that era are so endearing to people now who, you know, are in their you know, 40s and 50s. I mean, it's just yeah. so beloved. Uh, give me a sense of what that time was and, 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 and how you're received by the community now. Well, I'm I'm Bill Bellamy, the name, the brand, I'm, at this point, I feel like my fans treat me like I'm a legend to them. Like I'm, I'm, you know, a groundbreaking comic. You know, I've represented Black people for a long time. I'm like their favorite cousin, you know what I'm saying? So, like, I feel like I made a, a, a inroad. The reason that happened was because I came out of a, a class of comedians that was so prolifically funny. You know, um, Def Comedy Jam was a big launching pad for most of us. Mm -hmm. And everybody that's a name now that's won Oscars and Emmys and this, that, and the other, they all came out of that class of big comedian. From Dave to Jamie to um, Chris Rock to Steve Harvey to DL to Cedric. I mean, you just keep going, boom, Chris Tucker, Chris, you know, all the Chris's, you know. Yeah. So that that Bernie class Mac. was I mean, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, Bernie I, Mac I and called others. that class the dream team. That was we were we the dream team, you know. It's 20, 20 to 30 guys, Martin Lawrence included that just came and took the country by storm. Like we just came and we got TV shows and we made movies and 
we were just funny guys that everybody liked, you know what I'm saying? And we all had different styles and we all brought something to the game that was beautiful. So that's why I think almost 30 years later that I'm still relevant and that, you know, there's a love out there because people kind of like attach their, their life with you. They grew up with you. Yeah. Here's what's interesting about your career, Bill. And I, I get this and, and you proved it at the top. I think that we came along in a time where black culture was exploding. And so when you did certain things, there were certain tent poles or touch tones that people remember, like the Tupac interview or the OJ interview. Yeah. And in your case, man, I think about you were on Def Comedy Jam. Then you moved with MTV Jams. You were in a classic. I don't like calling it a black classic, a, a classic like Love Jones. Then you go and become familiar to an entirely different generation with Cousin Skeeter. Yeah. And, and, and that's but that's a lot to be generationally known. Right. Give me a sense as you look back now at how, you know, your career has gone in those kind of touch tone moments, those tentpole moments for you. Uh, what do you think when you look back? Um, I just feel like I'm really blessed because once again, getting back to timing, I was in the right place at the right time. I felt like the game needed somebody like me. They needed a bridge, you know, um, they needed somebody that could bridge the gap between white America, suburban kids and hip hop culture. And I was, I guess, the perfect black guy for white folks, you know, at that time where they felt like I could speak the language on both sides of the game, bring bring bringing the white kids over here to, to get to be introduced to the culture and the hip hop cats. Right. So when I was able to do that, that opened up the doors to so many things, you know, thus I was able to do Cousin Skeeter. I was able to host some of the big music shows. I was able to jump in a movie and it all came from being accessible to people and people like kind of like tapping into your personality or, you know, when I got Love Jones, Ted Witcher was like, yo, Bill, you funny, but I need you to be an asshole in this movie. Mm -hmm. Is that is that is that part of you possible? And I was like, oh yeah, I could do that. I could do that. And he was like, cause because I I need people not to like you in this movie. Oh, I said, oh, I got you. And indeed he did. Bellamy's character Wood was the foil to Lorenz Tate's Darius. They would both vie for Nia Long's character, Nina. See, I got this new gig. Keeps me up, working all through the night. The late shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know all about that kind of job. Used to work the hell out of it. You sure you can hang with it? So, moms keep on paging you, huh? Not this time, D. Mm. But we all know that uh, you ain't too good at staying employed, though. This might be different, you know. And uh, as I heard it, you ain't too good at staying employed either, partner. Well, you see, the, the difference is, I usually quit my job. You, you usually wind up fired. But it's okay. 
can't help it. Yo, shit, I'm gonna talk to you later. Take it easy, Darius. Whatever. What's that like being in a movie like Love Jones? I, you know, Lorenz and I have known each other like we have forever, right? And I was talking to him not long ago, and we talked about just the endearing nature of that movie, that people can quote that movie, not just the poem, but the movie from the beginning movie. to end, right? It's so beloved. What's that like for you, man? First first it was just the luck of the gods for me to be a part of that cast at that time i was just a comedian um, fresh off the def jam just got on mtv and um i'm in a movie an independent film with real actors so i was like oh my god they like act, act. i'm acting like an actor right <laughs> <laughs> So I was intimidated at first. I was like, man, these dudes, that's all they do is act, man. I got shows. I'm doing this and that. And so I said, all right, I got to step my game up because I want to be on the same level with the, with Lorenz and Nia and Lisa Nicole Carson and Isaiah. Those guys were just like really young and great actors, you know. And so they brought out the best of me. You know, they made me step my game up. They made me take it seriously. And, you know, the rehearsals and then we, with, the, with my director, he gave me chances to try different things. And so I was able to bring Hollywood to life. You know, a comedian who was sort of like graduating into this actor kind of guy. So 25 years later, 25 years later, we're in the Academy as a film noir. We are um, all still working actors. Mm -hmm. We all got stuff popping. It's like, I think it was the right place, right time. <laughs> what's what's your dream if you have it on the dramatic side? We should note that you've you've done some some dramatic roles. Um, mm -hmm. You were with the Madam C.J. Walker story, uh, which yeah. is very interesting to to see you in that. But give me a sense of you know I think of somebody like Robin Williams, who started in comedy and then stretched so much that you know his dramatic chops. We're crazy, right? It's, it's two. It's two people that I want to play that I think that I have the the right energy mm -hmm. to play. It would either be Marvin Gaye. Mm -hmm. I would want to play Marvin Gaye or Donny Hathaway. See, mm -hmm. I, I I think the reason I picked those two characters because we don't really know a lot about them. Like mo most people don't know that Donny Hathaway suffered from schizophrenia mm -hmm. and he was this really amazingly self-taught um, musician singer but he suffered from mental health issues right and um, the day that and I, I don't know why I'm, I'm, I just love Donny Hathaway's story because it's just so bugged out was that um, he was um, suffering from like a bipolar disorder kind of situation and so he jumped out of a hotel window. Mm -hmm. And most people don't know that. Interesting life, what he went through. I would love to be a part of that project. The reason I think Marvin Gaye is another interesting character to play is because there's so many levels to Marvin. Uh, and there's a lot of demons and there's a lot of um, um, like uh, sort of like polarizing opposites in his life from what he looked like to what he what it really was to his music to his songwriting i thought like if they ever do his story i would like to audition for that because i yeah. feel like i have 
enough experiences that I could drop into his life and then, you know, do it. Yeah, both of those extraordinary uh, men, extraordinary life stories. I'm I'm a kind of a music nut. And so I know I'm the liner notes cat. I can tell you who the drummer was. I can tell you who produced it, who wrote. I'm that dude, right? right. And so I've gotten to know Layla um, and her family uh, over the years, Donnie's daughter. And, um, you know, just both of those stories. I remember talking to the late, great James M. Tume, who worked with Donnie the, the night before or the afternoon of uh, his death, before he committed suicide. Uh, And he was talking about how sad it was that Donnie was hearing voices and they were just trying to stay with him and calm him down. And I mean, it's just it is an extraordinary story. I know they've been trying to do the Marvin Gaye story for some time. Uh, Because it's it's, I think I think the reason why it's going to take a long time, it's got to be the right person. One of the reasons it's hard to do those kind of stories because their families um, are very protective of the of the person's image and his. legacy so it would have to be done in the right way and it has to be the right person that the families would feel can really nail it down you know what i mean so i'm i'm just putting it in the universe those are two people that i love well i hope those stories are told and i wish you i wish you the best in making both or one of those come to fruition because here's my segue uh like the old folks say negro you stay working when i when i talked to you the other day i said all right dude what you got coming up and you said podcast, book, movie, you washing cars, you cooking dinner, you know. So so tell me what you got on the burner, man. I, you always doing it. Oh, uh, wow. OK. First thing I'm working on now is my book, my book about uh, it's a memoir um, on my life, uh, all the interviews, all the craziness, all the stories from Michael Jackson to the, being in the studio with Mary and Puffy and. Tupac and all this crazy stuff. So that's my book. It'll be out in the fall. And the life lessons of fatherhood and da 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 da. Um, then my podcast will be launched this summer. Um, it's going to be a big deal. I, I'm doing this um, project with Dave Mays, who created the source over at Breakbeat. So you guys are going to be hearing about that in the trades very shortly. Um, and then I did a big movie that'll be out. Uh, this year called Back to the Strip with um, Wesley Snipes, Kevin Hart, Tiffany Haddish, um, Gary Owen, Phase on Love. JB um, is in it. JB Smooth. JB Smooth. My boy JB Smooth was acting a fool in this movie. <laughs> and so we all play strippers and we are all like strippers just trying to get back. We the chocolate chips. You know, we trying <laughs> to get back in shape. <laughs> Every time I tell people we the chocolate chips, they bust out laughing. <laughs> Wait till you see the poster. It's crazy. It's crazy. We all we all children and baby it all the it's crazy. It's crazy. I saw something you all posted. I don't know if you were doing a table read or whatever, but all you all were in the room and started doing push-ups and all kind of crazy. Yeah, stuff. because Faison, who's way bigger than me, but he's not more fit. <laughs> Start talking crazy, <laughs> talking about how he could do a hundred push-ups. I was like, a hundred? A hundred, hundred? I was like, bro, I know I'm strong as hell and I can't do a hundred. I could do probably 60, maybe top out at 55. He said I could do a hundred. And then we so everybody said, Oh, snap. <laughs> so Tiffany put it on her live. 
Gary put it on a lot and it went viral. Yeah. He only did five. <laughs> he still got 95 to go but no no pressure no pressure let me ask you this man as we close and and i i want to say to you again man congratulations on just staying in the game you know steve harvey said this to me one day he says ed talking about push-ups he said when people ask me what it's like to be famous i said um he said being famous is somebody saying to you, do 50 push-ups. And he said, for most cats, you can't do 50 push-ups. But he said, you get down on the floor, you get to 20, 25, you're halfway there, 30, 35. And then he said, then sheer will gets you to 45. You got five more. And he said, you push it out. He said, that's getting famous. He says, staying famous is if somebody said, right as you hit 50, lock your arms and stay there. That's exactly my reaction. I said, that <laughs> is the truth. <laughs> I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life. That is because that is it. That's it. Stay there. Give me a sense of how you have been able, man, to, to keep it going. Because it's a lot of cats that came up with you that are no longer in the game. Give me a sense of for you what that is. Um, I think one of the reasons that I am still in the game is that I hustle like I've never been on. I grind like I've never been famous. So I never skip, sit back and just be on comfy in the couch trying to act like, you know, I'm Bill Bellamy. I always grind. So and that keeps me honest and it keeps me pushing, you know what I mean? And then I also enjoy and I'm very grateful for my flowers as well. See, that's another thing that most people do. You just jump into the next thing and you just you chasing, chasing happiness and stuff like it's all I'm happy about it all. I'm not I'm not like this next movie don't make me no better. It's just something I wanted to do that was in my spirit to do. I like that role. So I did that. And then I'm going to do this. You know, I'm doing the things that I love to do. So it ain't really work. You know what I mean? I'm doing what I want to do. I'm not like, you know, I'm not like in a chicken commercial or some shit, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Even though that will pay a bill or two, though, man. Unless it's the right chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, man, keep it up. We're going to look for the podcast, the book, the movie. It's back on the street, man. And let me tell you something, man. When 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 my beard, if my beard could grow in, I want my beard like that. That's that one right there. That's the joint that match your scarf right there. You be like, yo, you got the great flannel. Yeah, man. That, that's just getting old, brother. Give it time. You catch up. I hey, catch up, man. Good man. to see you as I, always. Thank you, man. Love you to death, bro. Be, keep Love winning, you. D. Keep winning. Love you back, man. Also, look for my man Bill Bellamy in your city. He's out on his stand-up tour right now. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media.